Hey guys, it's Abel here, back with a short episode. I'll experiment a bit with these short podcast episodes and I'll see how you guys like these. I consider this podcast like a little laboratory where I try different things out and now I'll be trying out these sub 10 minute long podcast episodes where I'm only as in-depth and redundant as necessary and as on point as possible. So, Today, I'd like to talk a little about diet fads, and I would like to talk both about the problem with diet fads and the merit of diet fads. And for the sake of this particular podcast episode, the way I'm defining diet fads is any diet that tries to sell a story with the diet, like this is how you should eat because this is how our ancestors ate, for example, or any diet that tries to excessively downplay or flat out deny the importance of energy balance and or propose rules within the diet that in light of what we know about the physiology of fat loss doesn't really make sense. Like for example, not combining certain foods in a given meal or in a given day or putting certain foods on the ban list for some non-justifiable reason. So I think when it comes to these fads, there is two positions we can take up. One is looking at it with anger and assuming that the sole purpose behind creating such a fad was to rip people off and make a bunch of money. And certainly that is probably typically a good part of the story. But I tend to have a more optimistic viewpoint here. And that is that the creators of these fads were for the most part, smart people who were aware of the reality of energy balance and were trying to create a system for people on which they could rely without being concerned about calories directly, at least. So to illustrate what I mean, you know, I have some people around me here who love embarking on all kinds of special diets. I, not that long ago, learned about the chrono diet, which is a low-ish carb diet with some seemingly random, strange rules. Like, for example, you can't combine certain protein sources in a single meal, and At first, it didn't make any sense for me. But as I was hearing more about these rules, it actually started to make some sense. And I had these epiphany moments of, oh, this rule of not having dairy and eggs in the same meal is probably there so that people don't start eating cheesy omelet, which is pretty palatable and might be easy to eat a lot of for some people. Another diet I came across not long ago was the UN diet, I believe, which has these different days, like it has a potato day and a pasta day. And it sounds ridiculous, but if you think about it, if you can only eat potatoes and veggies on one day, you're probably going to eat under your maintenance calories. Now, the question is, why would someone actually bother to do a diet like this? And I think that the main thing here is that for people to hear that the reason why they're not lean is simply because they're eating too much is just a very downputting and unpalatable thing to hear, no pun intended which let's ignore the fact for a second that that is indeed what they need to hear because that's technically the truth. And as adults, they should probably be ready to face a reality like this. But odds are that this was a reality that they were sort of aware of beforehand anyway, and they were sort of living in denial. And if now they just come across an article where someone rubs into their faces that look, Pudgy, the reason why you're fat is because you're just eating way too that much is going to be unappealing, to say the least. 
Now, again, we can, of course, have a whole separate discussion about that mindset and how much we should or shouldn't tolerate that kind of a mindset. But that aside, I think it's pretty easy to understand how a different proposition like the reason you're not lean is because you haven't found out about this secret system of eating, whether it's low carb or carb backloading or snake dieting or whatever, is going to be much more attractive. Even if the end result, which is the interesting part, is actually going to be embarking on a diet that is inherently fairly restrictive as well. And this is where the concepts of tribalism and the appeal of the sensation of being filled into some sort of a secret comes in. You know, people in the evidence-based community love to joke about the idea of diet cults becoming a replacement for religion. And in some sense, it's actually not even a joke, but rather it's actually exactly what's going on here. People love belonging to a group and love belonging to a community. It gives them a feeling of relatedness and in a way, it also gives them purpose. And just as people who love belonging to a religious group are willing to take on restrictions and sacrifices in the name of religion, people who follow a diet that has a community associated with it have all of a sudden a grander purpose, if you will, associated with adhering to their dietary strategies. The other thing here is a psychological concept, which basically describes how people value information that they perceive as exclusive. So for example, if you see an item in a grocery store for $10, you may or may not buy that item. But if someone tells you that, look, that thing there is normally $20, but hey, there is this coupon that I'm really not supposed to give you, but hey, I'll give it to you, but please don't tell anybody that I gave it to you. And with this coupon, you can get it for $10 then all of a sudden that product appears to be much more appealing because you get the feeling that you got your hand on an exceptional deal. So the same thing is going on with these diets when people throw around phrases like the health organizations don't want you to know this, but this is how you should be eating, or they don't teach doctors this, but this is what you should know about healthy eating. People get the feeling that now they have been filled into some sort of a secret and that now finally their diet and body composition is in their hands. And it actually can make them much more likely to follow whatever restrictions have been imposed upon them. So this is what makes fads appealing. And the thing is that I actually would have no problem with these fads if it was not for two main reasons. For one, the inherent built-in tendency of people to push against the boundaries of whatever system or set of rules have been created for them. So for example, what happens if you tell people that they can eat as much as they want as long as they keep their carbs under 30 grams a day? For some people, it will mean eating a lot of steak, fish, poultry, some eggs, sprinkling some dairy, and eat plenty of non-starchy, low-calorie veggies. But for a portion of the population, it will mean trying to find ways to indulge in the same, well, indulgent type of eating behavior that they were doing so on their own on their regular crappy diet. So they will eat spoonfuls of peanut butter, eat pounds and pounds of cheese, drink their bulletproof coffee. In short, they will find ways to overeat while adhering to the inclusion criteria of, well, low carb in this case. This very thing happened to me actually. 
you know, I'd say that from about 2013 till about the middle of 2015, I was on a very low carb diet for the most part. And I mean, I did some very impressively disordered things with my food. One of my standard evening feast meals was sitting down with a peck of butter and a bunch of nuts like almonds and hazelnuts. And I would cut thin slices of butter for myself and I would put it in between two almonds and I would eat that as if it was butter spread over some crunchy piece of bread. And I must have put down like 4,000 calories in an evening meal like that. And I would like to actually tell this to someone like Gary Taubes. I would actually want to have a conversation with him. It's sort of on my list of plans to get him on the podcast, listen to his argument about how the body magically sorts out body weight regulation and appetite regulation and things like that if you cut out carbohydrates and that it's virtually impossible to overeat. And I would tell him that, look, Gary, in, in principle, in general, I think you're right in a very general sense, but people have psychological imbalances, not just an imbalance between their satiety and hunger hormones. And the same very thing applies to a very low-fat diet. A low-fat diet can indeed be very effective in stripping off body fat and auto-regulating people's calorie intakes if they load up on veggies, fruits, some potatoes, have some rice. But if they load up on low-fat cereals, eat tons of bread, come up with these really cool low-fat recipes, it is absolutely 100% possible to overeat. And if someone has a tendency to indulge in non-homeostatic eating, if someone enjoys eating beyond the point of satiety and even fullness, it is 100% possible to significantly overeat on a very low-fat diet. It's just harder than on a mixed diet. And then these were just some very big-picture dietary principles that, depending on the style of messaging and communicating the concepts, could fall into the category of a fad that fails to deliver results. Then what about something like the paleo diet? Can it be a very legitimate way to guide someone towards a healthier, lower calorie, more homeostatic way of eating? Absolutely. If you just tell someone that, look, just eat what someone in an ancestral, natural environment would eat, a lot of people will lose a lot of fat and will get healthier. In my country of origin, Hungary, the paleo diet was a massive, massive success. I honestly, personally, don't remember any kind of movement reaching such heights and reaching as many people as the paleo movement has. And at least a part of this success is that it actually truly helped a lot of people. Why? Because people exchanged the candy bars, the pastries, and the fast food to meat, veggies, fruits, eggs, fish, and they obviously lost body fat. And I would predict that now, paleo's remaining days in Hungary and the craze around paleo is ticking down because now we have dozens and dozens of paleo cookbooks with all kinds of cool recipes to make really tasty calorie-dense foods like paleo bread and paleo cookies. There are paleo stores by the dozen which sell these nut butters and coconut chips and paleo flowers from almonds and coconut. And it basically all guides people towards indulgent, high-calorie eating again. And then we could also talk about some other simple concepts or fads within any kind of diet, like not mixing fats and carbs. Is there merit to it? Absolutely. Because if in any given meal you're excluding carbs or fats, your opportunities to make really tasty, really calorie-dense foods goes down immediately. Or there are exceptions, yeah, like nut butters, which are high-fat, very low-carb, or low-fat cereals, which are very high-carb, very low-fat. 
But for the most part, if you tell someone that, look, don't change anything about your diet, just separate carbs and fats to different meals, odds are that they will reduce their calories and lose body fat. Carb backloading. You can eat as much as you'd like, just eat all your carbs after 6 p.m. Does it have merit? Sure. For some people, it will mean eat some bacon and eggs for breakfast, have some meat with salad for lunch, stay nice and full, and at night, eat some rice, maybe some low-fat ice cream, and they can create a calorie deficit in a nice, enjoyable way. But for a portion of the population, it will mean eating cheese, peanut butter, and bacon till 6 p.m., and then donuts, waffles, and cookies till they pass out at night. Let's talk about avoiding certain foods because of some questionable reason. On the paleo diet, for example, the instruction often goes to limit your intake of nuts because of phytic acid and omega-6, or because, evolutionarily speaking, probably cavemen didn't have access to large amounts of nuts. Is the legitimacy of all these reasons very much questionable? Absolutely. But does the instruction itself have merit? Absolutely, because snacking on nuts all the time is one of the most common pitfalls of low-carb dieters. So the point is, all these fads and sort of childish rules have some merit to them, and they do have a capacity to help people. But what's the common denominator in all of them? The lack of education and letting people know about the things that will truly make or break a diet. The lack of telling people what's actually going on. And certainly, telling people what's going on is kind of a tricky thing to handle because there's indeed a chance that you will lose some people or lose more people at least if you tell them that how many calories they ingest is going to be the main game changer if they want to lose body fat as opposed to telling them that you have cracked the code for some special foods that they should be eating for maximum health and the best body comp. And that's why I think that it's really important to educate people about the concepts of calories and the importance of how much they eat in a way that doesn't overwhelm them. I would, for example, always tell them that it's important to understand what's going on on the calories and thermodynamics front, but it doesn't have to mean that they need to track and count things. And if they select filling foods and develop some decent eating habits, like eating square meals and controlling their food environment pretty well, then they will probably do fine. But that whole thing is a discussion for another day. But the point is, that is one big problem with diet fads when people buy into them without being educated. Their inherent tendency to push against the boundaries of any system that claims that you can eat as much as you want and truly as much as you want as long as you only eat these foods or you avoid those foods. And then, of course, the other age-old problem is a lack of direction once you're off the plan. You know, it's as embarrassing to say this, I had times early in my journey when I legitimately thought that if I'm not following a diet that keeps carbs under 30 grams and say I have 200 plus grams of carbs, then I might as well go on an all-out binge because there's no difference from a fat loss perspective. So yeah, is this a nonsensical way of thinking that should intuitively make no sense to you even if you've been misled about basic physiology and metabolism? Sure. You should know better than this based on sheer human intuition. But regardless, this is something that can happen without education. So all in all, what I want to say is that while diet feds that try to sell stories and force seemingly nonsensical rules upon people 
are surely annoying to watch from the outside. And it's also frustrating to see people buying into these fans. At the same time, it's worth approaching the whole thing from a position of compassion. Because for one, the people coming up with these fans, besides, of course, wanting to make money, are also trying to create a foolproof system for people to control their calories without being concerned about it directly. And the people buying into these fads are also on the path of something good by actually willingly investing their time, energy, and sometimes money into something that is going to guide them towards making some form of behavioral and dietary change and take on some form of restriction. And I think it's our job, looking at it from the outside, to simply offer information to these people when requested in a compassionate and helpful way instead of being condescending and downputting towards them. So these are just some random thoughts that I had about diet feds. Um, I hope it was interesting for some of you. And with that, see you in the next episode. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and liked what you heard. And if you did, then I think you definitely love our SSD training and nutritional course that we recently put out with Burger Fuggerly. This program not only contains a 12-week phasic training program that you can use to time efficiently and safely build the best body you can, but also gives you four plus hours of video lectures about managing your nutrition and lifestyle to not only look good, but feel and perform optimally. And besides this, you will also be getting some really awesome bonuses like Burger Fuggerly's Myo Reps and Zero Carb ebook. So if this sounds interesting to you, then go ahead and check out sustainableselfdevelopment.com. And of course, to not miss out on future episodes like this, subscribe to the podcast and you'll be up to date on everything we'll be putting out. So thank you for hanging around up until now and see you next time.